remain standing for our gospel lesson and our sermon text. I'm actually only going to read one verse, the very first verse. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the light of the world that you are shining into our hearts and into the world. Help us to see it, to believe in it, and to follow it, him, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this through the power of your spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to do something today that I don't often do, which is to just preach on one verse, and then next week we'll come back and look at the rest of what's printed in your bulletin, verses 12 all the way to 30. We'll, we'll see how those verses flesh out this main verse, this central verse, but I just didn't think we could cover what we needed to cover and get to the other 20 or 19 or so verses in the same sermon. So for the next half hour, we're just really going to meditate and explore this one verse and and see how it fits into the rest of Scripture and and to the rest of the Gospel message in the Old Testament and in the New. The human body was made, it was designed by God to crave light, physical light. Light. If you've ever gone deep into a cave and turned out the lights, or if you've ever been in a room, maybe in the basement with no windows and turned out all the lights so that there was no light coming in, you know what it's like to have your eyes wide open and yet be unable to see anything at all. In these situations, you very quickly begin longing for just a little bit of light. Especially if you're in an unknown place. You kind of want to get your bearings. You just want to see a little bit of light so you can see something. Maybe you've uh, been lying in bed in maybe a foreign place and when the lights go out, your your pupils are still small and you can't see anything. You just can't wait until five or ten minutes later that you can start seeing things around you. It's the way we were made. It's the way our bodies were created. One of my sons is reading a book on... Jeremiah Denton. Denton was an American prisoner of war who spent several years in North Vietnam being tortured. And one of the ways the Vietnamese tortured Denton was by putting him in a dark cell for days. And in this dark cell, he couldn't really see anything. He spent days in utter darkness. And he longed to see light the way a starving person longs to eat food. But what the Vietnamese guards didn't realize is that there was actually a very, very small sliver of light coming into this cell. 
this immensely dark cell had a little crack that allowed the tiniest amount of light to come in. The light was so infinitesimal, so small, that Denton couldn't see it unless he got really close to it. And he could see it. And once Denton discovered this tiny sliver of light coming into his dark cell, he was drawn to it again and again. It became his best friend. After a while, he began to talk to it. And he named it. Didn't he name it? So, the light became his companion, the center of his life. The human heart, apart from Jesus, lives in utter darkness. And whether it knows it or not, it craves the light of the world. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3, it was lights out for all of mankind, everyone who would descend from Adam. Our hearts went completely dark. Because of what Adam did, every one of his descendants is conceived in the total darkness of Adam's sin. By nature, every human heart is born blind. We are conceived into slavery. We enter this world as slaves to the devil's darkness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, and he's referring to Satan, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the Gospel. Apart from Jesus, apart from the saving grace of God, we remain in total darkness. Until God comes and rescues us, until He saves us, until He rescues us from what Paul calls the domain of darkness in Colossians 1, from the devil's domain, until He does that, and until He saves us and brings us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, we can't even see a tiny sliver of light. There's nothing coming in. The spiritual darkness that we find ourselves in at the moment of conception is pervasive. The darkness is total. But you see, we're not the victims in this story that I'm telling. We're not passive in our spiritual blindness. We, we don't come into this world as innocent victims of the spiritual darkness that we inherit from our first father, Adam. No, our problem is that our problem goes deeper than that. We, we actually come into this world loving darkness and hating the light. I know it was several weeks ago, even months ago, but do you remember what Jesus says in John 3? Here's the condemnation, Jesus says. Here's the verdict. Here's the condemning verdict. On mankind. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's the verdict. That's the bottom line. The light's here, the light's shining. It came into the world, but by nature, mankind hates the light and it loves. We love darkness by nature. 
The eyes of our hearts are born blind and we like it that way. We want it that way. We don't want to see. We're not victims. We are offenders. We're born offenders against God. That's why hell is abundantly fair. People will spend forever in hell because they loved their bondage. They wanted blind spiritual eyes. The light of the world was all around them. It was shining. It was there. The light was there to be seen. But they chose to walk in darkness rather than having the light of life. As Jesus says a little later in this passage, as we'll see next week and talk about, they, are, they die in their sins. And so they will spend eternity in outer darkness, Jesus says, away from God's light. Because that's what they wanted in this life. And it will be a just penalty because they chose to die in the darkness of their sins instead of submitting to the light of Jesus Christ. They wanted to be blind more than they wanted to believe. They wanted to stay in their dark cell of sin more than they wanted to live in the light of life. There are some of you here who believe in Jesus. Many of you who walk with Jesus. There are some of you, though, who are just barely maybe seeing a sliver of light. You've been enlightened. You've tasted of the heavenly gift that Christ offers. You've been a partaker of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come, as Hebrews 6 says. You've been engrafted into the vine of Christ, as John 15 says. and You've seen the light. But at the moment, you're settling for a tiny sliver of that light. And, and you're all but overcome by the darkness. No matter where you are on that spectrum of being able to see the light of the world, to walk in the light of the world, no matter how much you are walking in the light of life or not, on this side of heaven, we're all in, a, in the same boat in the sense that we all still have darkness that needs to be driven out of our hearts. No one's spiritual vision will be 2020 this side of heaven, this side of the new heavens and new earth. We all have blind spots. We all need the light of the world to drive out the strongholds of sinful darkness that cling to our souls. And so all of us need to hear and apply what Jesus says in John 8.12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of of life or the light that gives life. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? It means that this world has no light other than Jesus. And everyone in this world needs the light that is Jesus. So it means that there is no other light in this world, no true light, for this world other than Jesus. And it means that everyone in this world 
needs Jesus as their light. It's either Jesus or total darkness. You can't get light apart from Him. All the other lights on offer, and there are many, many lights on offer, are all fake. And they will leave your soul darker than they found it. Remember, the devil appears as an angel of light. He doesn't come saying, I'm darkness and I bring more darkness. He shows up as an angel of light, but really, he's a light thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy any light that you have. That's what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy the light that God had given them. Jesus came though that you may have the light of life and have it abundantly. So, if it's not Jesus, it's not light. It may look like light and feel like light initially, but if it's not Jesus, it's not light. There's only one true source of light for this world, Jesus Christ. Everything else and everyone else is a road that dead ends in darkness. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now to understand the full significance of what Jesus says here, in this verse in particular, verse uh, uh, verse 12, we need to consider where Jesus is standing when He says this. Now, if you have your Bibles open to John 8, just look down in verse 20. John makes a point to give us the context of Jesus' words here in John 8, including what He says in verse 12. And, and in verse 20, Jesus says, these, or John says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple. Now, why does John tell us this? Let's consider. Jesus is in the treasury. And in the center of the treasury, it's good to know that there, at this time, would have been four giant torches that were set up and lit during the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles had just ended the day before. These torches were several stories high. Unbelievably big. And on top of them were huge basins that historians say held around 65 liters of oil. The flames that leapt from these torches illumined the whole temple and it even lit up much of Jerusalem. It was a spectacular sight. And these giant torches symbolized the pillar of fire that led the people of Israel through the wilderness and then hovered over the tabernacle as we read in Numbers 9. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles was a remembrance and celebration of what God had done for Israel in the wilderness as they lived in tabernacles or tents. And so these huge torches, lights, 
in the temple treasury pointed to this. The pillar of, they pointed back to the pillar of fire. And the pillar of fire was the glory of God. It was the Shekinah glory. It was the light of the world made manifest to Israel. It was God's personal presence among His people. And eventually, remember, that glory cloud and that glory pillar of fire took up residence in the tabernacle and later it moved into the temple when Solomon built the temple. In short, then these these massive torches in the temple treasury were set up and set on fire every year during the eight-day Feast of Tabernacles as celebratory reminders of God's presence and God's provision for Israel, His people, through the pillar of fire in the wilderness. So here's the scene. Feast of Tabernacles. It just ended. The giant torches in the temple had been burning every night for eight days. And now Jesus, right after the feast is over, is standing in the treasury where everyone can see in the background these torches symbolize the glory of God. And in this context, Jesus declares to the people in verse 12, I am the light of the world. The first thing to notice about this phrase is the I am. It's one of the, one of the places in John where Jesus is clearly identifying Himself with the great I am. The, the way that it's structured here, the words that are used here, make it obvious that He is identifying Himself with the great I am of the Old Covenant. The God of creation and Israel's redemption in the Old Testament. And so it's as if Jesus is saying, I am the true Shekinah glory. I'm the pillar of fire that led Israel and that came between you, Israel, and the Egyptians near the Red Sea. The pillar that protected you, guided you in the wilderness wanderings. I'm the light that shines in this dark world. The light of the world for the darkness of the world. Jesus is clearly in this one statement claiming to be God in more than one way He's claiming this. He's the presence of God in human form. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the great I Am clothed in mankind's flesh. He's the true temple. He's the real source of light. He's the only source of redemption, salvation. So he says, because of this, because I am the great I am and the light of the world, the glory of God in the flesh, whoever follows me won't live, won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice, Jesus says that whoever follows Him will have the light of life. He doesn't say that whoever likes Him and thinks He's really great will have the light of life. Jesus doesn't say that whoever claims Him as Lord and goes to church and talks about Him will have the light of life. Jesus says that whoever actually follows Him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Those who actually walk in obedience to Christ are those who have the light of life. You can do a lot of things that I mentioned and many, many more, and yet not have the light of life. Because the light of life belongs to those who are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, obedient, submissive followers of the living Christ, the light of life. So if you follow Jesus by taking up your cross and submitting your life to Him, then you have the light of life in you. And to the extent that you do that, you have the light of life in you. And having this light, Jesus says, is the opposite of walking in darkness. If you have the light, you are not walking in darkness. If you are walking in darkness, you do not have the light. They are opposites. John says something similar in his first letter in 1 John chapter 1. In him, in God, John says, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we claim to have communion with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Some tra- translations do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We show ourselves to be those who have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, is purifying us from all sin. John is not saying that the way to get purified from your sin, the way to get forgiven, is to walk in the light. He's saying that those who are forgiven are walking in the light. Your sins are being purified by the blood of Jesus. Your response will be to live out or practice, to put into practice the truth, as John calls it. And you'll put it into practice by walking in the light instead of the darkness. So you see, because Jesus is the light, because He is the light of the world, the light that gives life, because there is no darkness in Jesus, He's able to drive away from you darkness. He's he's able to drive the darkness out of you. He is radiant enough and His light is powerful enough to flood all the dark caverns of your cavernous heart. He's able to flood them with the light of life, with the pure light of the Gospel. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. This is the very beginning of John's Gospel. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot overcome it. All of us here, all of us here, without exception, are in need of a light that can shine in our dark hearts without being overcome by the deep darkness that lingers there. If you are a believer, this has already happened to you in a definitive way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that 
the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, in other words, the, the, the God who created everything, including light on day one of creation, has made His light shine in our hearts. That's, that's how Paul understands the Gospel. It's God's light shining in our hearts. So if you've been saved by God, it means that He's shown His light into your heart. He started that process of driving out the darkness. And yet, even if you're saved, you're still in need of more light. Every one of us, without exception, needs more of the light to go into more of the places in our soul. You still have places in the cave that is your heart where you often find yourself stumbling around in the dark. We all have indwelling darkness that needs to be displaced by the light of the world that gives life. And the problem is not that there's a shortage of light. That's not the problem at all. God has provided the light. He has sent the light into the world. We have access to the light. The light of life is shining as bright as ever. The problem is that you're letting, or you're not letting light into certain areas of your life. You're letting the darkness keep its stronghold. That's, that's our problem with indwelling sin. We make truces with death and darkness. Maybe you've surrendered some of the real estate of your soul to the enemy in the areas of anger or lust. There are places you don't want the light of life to go. This is why you become confused and anxious and joyless. It's why sin often gets the upper hand. It's why you often live perhaps in despair or defeat. Darkness and the light of life cannot live on the same, in the same spot, in the same piece of ground in your heart. They, they don't share space. You may be an unbeliever who has never experienced God's light. The light of the Gospel shining into your heart. You may be a believer who wants to shed more light on the lingering darkness. In either case, Jesus says to you, He says to us, I am the only light of the world. The only light that can give life to mankind. So don't look for, for light in anyone or in anything else. Every attempt to find light somewhere else will only intensify the remaining darkness. Follow me, Jesus says, and your life will be full of the light of life. You'll never have to walk in darkness. That's what Jesus says. He's, he uses ever, never, strong language. Have you ever tried to go through an obstacle course blindfolded? If you have, you know that the smallest and easiest of obstacles become the most difficult obstructions when you're blindfolded because you can't see what's going on. 
And the same is true in the obstacle course that is your spiritual life. And, and God has designed a specific course for each one of His children to walk through. And if you're not walking in the light of Christ, then you're walking blind. You're walking blindfolded. And inevitably, the obstacles that shouldn't be that big of a problem become great, even insurmountable stumbling blocks for you. But when you have the light of life, when you're following Jesus and keeping your eyes fixed on the light who is Jesus, then you can navigate the obstacles because you're walking in the light. You're looking at the light and that light is providing light for your path. And the key is this. In order to see your way through the course, you can't fix your eyes on the course, on the obstacles. You don't look at the obstacle course, you look at the light. The only way to have the light is to look at the light. When you take your eyes off the light, you're moving toward darkness. So if you look anywhere else, you're only going to see darkness. Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So it's only in your light, the psalmist says, that we see light. And we know that the light is Jesus. So it's only in Jesus, it's only in looking at Him that we can actually see light and have light for our path. Fixing your eyes on the obstacles will blind you. You might as well be wearing a blindfold. If you focus on the obstacles instead of the light, you'll never get beyond just groping in the dark. There's only one way to stay out of the darkness and to stay in the light of life. It's by turning your eyes away from the obstacle course and fixing them on the light of the world. Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. Their faces shall never be ashamed. So, that you can say that, you can pray that, you can believe that in any circumstance, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what the situation in life you're in. Those who look to Him, not here, at this situation or that, but those who look to Him are radiant, filled with light, and therefore filled with joy. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Psalm 43.3 Send your light and your truth. Let them, let your light and your truth lead me. Let them, your light and your truth, bring me to your holy mountain and to the place where you dwell. See, the psalmist here are talking about looking at the light, fixing your eyes on the light because it brings you to God. It brings you to the mountain. When you take your eyes off of the goal and you start fixing them on the immediate things, you lose your way and you get off track before you know it. And having the light of life is not just something that happens to us in Scripture. It's also something that happens through us. Having the light of life means becoming a shaft of the Lord's light yourself. If you belong to Jesus, then you've been called to bear the same light that He displayed. 
You've been called to display it yourself in your own life. Jesus says in Matthew 5, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is the capital L light of the world. You in Jesus are a lowercase l light of the world. Paul says in Philippians 2 that in this dark world, you, God's people, shine like the stars. The light of the world has shone into you so that it can shine out of you and through you. In our epistle lesson from Ephesians 5 that I read earlier, Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. What's the implication? The next sentence, walk as children of the light. In Jesus, you are light. Not just in the light. It's not that you were in darkness and now you're in the light. That that is true, but that's not what he's saying here. You were darkness and now you are light. So be the light that you are. You are the light, so be the light. That's the logic of Paul's exhortation and teaching in Ephesians 5. Now during the first half of this sermon, I asked the question, what does this phrase mean? What does the light of the world mean? What's it refer to? And I said it means that this world has no other light than Jesus. And it means that everyone in this world needs the light that is Jesus. The light of life. Without Jesus, there is no light. It's either Jesus or darkness in this world for everyone. But there's a future dimension to this as well. Jesus is not just the light of this world. He's also the light of the world to come. In the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to create, recreate for us to live in forever, something that we can't even begin to imagine, in that new world, Jesus will be the lamp that lightens everything. In Revelation 21 and 22, which describe this new world for us, it's really a vision that John sees of this future new heavens and new earth. And John sees a vision of the world to come that does not have a sun or moon or stars. There's there's no heavenly lights lighting up this new world the way our world is lit up. And the reason is, John says, because the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. That's Revelation 21-23. The glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. The Lamb is the lamp. And then he writes again in the next chapter in Revelation 22-5, There will be no more night, and they, us, We will have no need for the light of a lamp or of the sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. That's that's a promise that applies to us. That's us. We're going to be reigning with Jesus who is the light 
that lights up the whole world forever and ever. The good news, though, is that this future light, this amazing, spectacular, powerful light is the same light that can shine in your heart even now. It's the same light that can drive out all the darkness in those dark caverns of your heart. The eternal light of life that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22, for example, is available. It's accessible even now. If we only knew what was ours, even in this very moment. The only question is how much we will decide to love it. How much do you love that light? The light that came into the world? The light that gives life? The light that will light up the new world? The light that shines in dark hearts? How much do you love it? And will you love the darkness more than the light? Or in what ways are you still loving the darkness more than you love the light? The light will not shine in those places where the darkness is still loved. You can't love the darkness and then have God's light displacing that darkness at the same time. It never works that way. Walking in the light is following Christ Jesus. And we follow Christ by submitting ourselves to Him in unquestioned obedience. That's, that's why this is hard. It's easy, it's simple, but it's hard to do. We must follow Christ the way the Israelites followed the cloud and the pillar of fire through their wilderness wandering in the desert. I read that passage from Numbers 9 because it's so, it's repetitive. It hammers home the significance of Israel's obedience in following that cloud, that pillar of fire. Whenever it, it was lifted up, that's when they got up and started walking. Let me read it again. Whenever the cloud lifted from the tent, and just notice as I read this how specific Moses gets here, the author gets here with their obedience and their submission and following the presence of God. I'm going to read from a different translation, so you might just want to listen. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And at His command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at His command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped. And at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with His command through Moses. 
Walking in the light is learning to encamp when the Lord tells you to encamp and set out when the Lord tells you to set out. We follow Christ by faithful submission and obedience to everything that He has commanded. We must learn the principle of submission again and again. When the joy leaves your life and it's replaced with that confusion and weariness, you will only find relief when, you're, when you submit yourself to God. It's important for us to think about, to know, to learn, because our culture doesn't really force us or teach us to submit. That's why God has us submitting to the various authorities in our lives in Scripture. It's to teach us how to submit to Him because submitting to Him, obeying Him without question, without reservation is what it means to follow Him. And following Him is how you walk in the light instead of in the darkness and it's how you have the light of life. If you don't know how to submit, you won't have the light of life. You've got to stay under the cloud, under the pillar of fire. You can't run ahead or lag too far behind. You've got to go where it goes and go when it goes. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So if you're not a believer, you don't have any light, then the light your soul needs, the light that it's craving, the hole that is there is can only be filled by the light that is Jesus. If you are a believer, then don't settle for a small sliver of the light of life. Instruct your heart so that it wants life and light more than it wants death and darkness. It's no fun stumbling through life in the dark. You want the light shining in your heart. Shining out of your heart. It's like, the, it's like the water in John 7. That key verse in verse 37 to 39 of John 7 where he, he said those that are in Jesus, those that believe in Jesus, they'll have living water flowing into them and out of them. And the same is true with, this, with the light. You want the light shining into you and then shining out of you so that it's running through you. So do you have the light? Is this, how, how do you relate to this, this verse? John 8, verse 12. How, are you walking in darkness or do you have the light? How much of the light are you enjoying? Are you settling for a small sliver? Do you love the light? Are there dark places inside of you that you still love and that you're hanging on to? Are you enjoying the peace and the joy, the comfort and the guidance that come from the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night? If not, submit yourself to the Lord. Submit yourself to the light. Let's pray and ask for God to help us do this. Father, we confess that we need your light. We thank you for giving us the light of the world. 
the light of life, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us grace to walk in that light, to receive that light, to reflect that light, to be pillars ourselves as we go about being the light of the world. And we thank you for the light that is to come that will eventually drive out every last bit of death and darkness and sin forever. We thank you for that promise and we ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen.